Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good evening. It is good to see everyone here tonight. Um, I don't know if you've heard or not, but uh, sometime in the near future, there is going to be a movie released uh, about Noah and the Flood. Uh, something that I heard about not long ago when I did some digging. It's going to be a major uh, Hollywood production. Uh, from my understanding, Russell Crowe, the actor, is going to be starring as Noah. And one of the biggest complaints that's been had from the movie thus far is the fact that it's not historically accurate. Uh, from what I gather, the movie's taken more from the Apocrypha and the writings in it than uh, what's found in the Bible. But one of the things that that reminds me of is just to a certain extent the fascination uh, that individuals have uh, with the, if you'll allow me to use this phrase, the story of Noah. Not to say that uh, Noah is a story kind of like, a, you know, in, you know um, once upon a time with fairy tale, things of that nature, but just his life. Uh, it's something that we teach uh, young children in class, one of the first things they learn, uh, and something that adults still enjoy going through from what I've gathered. Uh, in Bible classes, just Noah and the ark. But there's one thing that I want us to kind of pay attention to this evening uh, about that passage. And if you would, I want you to find Genesis chapter 7 in your Bibles. Genesis uh, chapter 7. And we're going to make a few notes this evening about one particular moment in time that occurs... Genesis 7, verse 16. It's there that we read, And they went in, uh, went in male and female of flesh, as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Just to give kind of an idea of everything that had occurred up to this point, God had seen the wickedness of man uh, upon the face of the earth, and found an individual by the name of Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and... God essentially tells Noah, what I want you to do is I want you to build an ark. And he gave the, the, uh, the size of the ark to Noah. said, this is what, how I want you to build it. These are the things that I want you to do. And I'm going to give you 120 years to, to get all this accomplished. And so Noah does all of that. And in the meantime, as all of this is getting prepared, the world is going on as normal. And individuals are essentially ignoring the fact that the ark is being built. Uh, ignoring the preaching of Noah, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. And Noah and his family enters into the ark, chapter 7, and then all the way to the point in verse 16, we read the fact that before the flood waters came, everyone went into the ark and God shut the door. There's something very specific I want us to pay attention to this evening in looking at that. It's the idea when God shuts the door. Because there are certain things that at this particular moment that is signified by the fact that God has closed the door of this ark. And there are a few notes that I want us to make of that and a few notes that I want us to pull in today's society and things that are going to be happening in the yet future. 
It kind of reminds me of Matthew 24, verses 1 through 12. We talk about the ten virgins, how there were five wise and how there were five foolish. Well, five because they were unprepared, were not allowed to enter in because the door to the wedding feast was shut. The same idea there. But there are a few things that I want, to t- want us to take from that uh, this evening as we look at the idea of when God shuts the door. When God shut the door of the ark, that meant His patience has come to, the end, uh, come to an end. God is and has always been very patient with His creation. Uh, again, we look back to how long uh, mankind was given uh, once this ark and all these things were being built. God gave 120 years for Uh, if you will, between the building of the ark and the time that the flood came. In Genesis 6 verse 3 we read, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. 1 Peter 3 verse 20 we read, uh, When once the uh, long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was uh, preparing, And so God had uh, given that long period of time. God was long-suffering while all this was going on. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9 we read, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, considering the fact that this was written many, many, many years ago, uh, almost 2,000 years ago in the state of mankind today, it's kind of easy for us to understand just how patient God really is. Uh, We look at that word long-suffering. The word long-suffering means to be patient. Of course, long-suffering to bear with. Literally to be long-tempered. Vine put it this way. He said, long-suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. It is the opposite of anger and is associated with mercy. Well, you know, that's a great uh, description of what God is. He's long-suffering. He has that mercy. In Exodus 34, verse 6, we read, And the Lord passed by before Him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. Well, God is merciful to His creation because the goodness is supposed to lead mankind to repentance. If you would, find Romans chapter 2 in your Bibles. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 1, one thing we see is that Paul is essentially uh, speaking about the Gentiles and many of the sins which they had committed. But here in chapter 2, he sets his crosshairs uh, on the Jewish people. And in verses 1-4 through we read, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the, uh, the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them uh, which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which uh, do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? You know, these are individuals who were without defense because God had given them the law. God had given them the scrolls. And because of that, they had a better knowledge of God than the Gentiles. 
They had all of these different things, and yet Paul said they practiced the same things uh, that Paul had earlier spoken of about the Gentiles. And he asked, do you think that you can do the same things that they have done and, and somehow find yourself exempt from the judgment of God? Even in verse 4 we read that the Jews had looked down on, they had despised the goodness uh, and forbearance and long-suffering of God through their actions. Well, that gives us an idea of one of the reasons why God is long-suffering. Because His long-suffering is supposed to deliver individuals to Him. It's intended to deliver individuals to uh, repentance. But of course, we know from history that the Jew, you know, many of the Jewish population uh, were hard-hearted individuals. And so we ultimately see the purpose of God in being long-suffering so that man might have the opportunity to change his ways and return to Him. And of course it echoes what we already read in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, keeping that in mind, we should understand that there does come a point when the patience of God runs out. God had given mankind 120 years to make things right. 120 years for an individual to obey Him and to do what's right. Well, what happened after the 120 years were up? Did God decide, well, I'm going to wait one more year? After 120 years, His patience ran out, and then the flood came. And so we do see the patience of God running out at this particular point. And so we need to understand that when the door is shut... There's going to come a time when God says it's time. Well, in this instance, it was when the floodwaters came. What about with us? In this life, in this world, is there ever going to come a time where God's patience runs out on this world? All one has to do is look to the future coming judgment day. But what else does it mean when we read that God shut the door on Noah and his family? It also meant that God's preaching had been tuned out. And this is a sad statement to, to really make about the world. Ultimately, God shut the door because His message had been completely and utterly ignored. In Isaiah 1 verse 18, we, we understand the fact that God does want uh, His people to understand and wants them to have the opportunity to understand what He wants them to know. In Isaiah 1.18 we read, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be like crimson, they shall be as wool. That word reason, let us reason together, it means to show and to prove. And from some of the study that I've done, it gives the idea of a court case. As far as you've got the defendant, you've got the plaintiff, you've got the judge. Well, God is setting forth evidence as to the reasons why uh, Israel and Judah are uh, scarlet, that is, they're in their sins, and wants them to understand what they've done wrong and what they can do to make things right. Well, God wanted to show the Israelites that His ways uh, were the right ways. And we learn through the prophets that God's message was mostly ignored. One of the things that's really stuck in my mind is on Wednesday nights at City Boulevard, we're studying the Minor Prophets. Uh, we're going to be finishing the book of Hosea soon, and Hosea uh, was the last of the uh, prophets uh, that had spoken to Israel, and after that had come, you know, after Hosea, the Assyrians came. Well, how many prophets did God send to Israel before Hosea? Countless. 
You know, there are probably prophets that we don't read of in the, you know, read of in the Holy Scripture that have spoken to Israel. Even after that occurs, what about those of Judah? Did Judah learn from that? No, God has to send prophet after prophet to them. And what happened? They ignored the message and Babylon ultimately came. God's message, really and truly throughout history, man has made a habit of kind of ignoring the things that God has to say. Well, the same stands true in the days of Noah. Again, as we've noted earlier, God had given mankind 120 years. He said, it's 120 years in which my spirit will strive with man. And during that time, Noah is building an ark, but it seems that there's another job that Noah had at this time. Peter describes Noah in 2 Peter 2 verse 5 as a preacher of righteousness. And so, not only is Noah building this ark, but he's also giving a message to these individuals. That word preacher means herald. And uh, if you want kind of a picture of a herald, in kind of medieval times, a herald was kind of like a, what we refer to as a town crier. He's the individual who, if there was an important piece of news within the city, he would go running from one end of the city to the other, crying out. For instance, let's say the king had, was in town. He was just entering. And so he would run from one end of the town to the other, screaming or crying out, The king is coming! The king is coming! The king is coming! Why? Well, to notify individuals the king's heading their way, they can come out of their homes, they can pay homage to him as you know they would see fit. Uh, and it kind of reminds us of the word used in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 when Paul wrote for us to preach the word. Well, that's the same word. We're, we're a herald. We're ultimately to tell the people that the king is coming. Well, who's the king? Christ. You know, the king is coming. Well, what important news was Noah supposed to take to the world around him? There is a universal flood coming. This is something that the world has never seen before. It hasn't seen since. The whole world was going to be flooded essentially to take out those individuals who are unrighteous. And you've got to imagine, sometimes preachers like visuals to go along with their sermons. It's one of the things I like about PowerPoint is uh, I can have kind of an image in the background along with the text and you see that image and it kind of helps draw in the thoughts that you're wanting to go along with the sermon. Noah had the greatest visual that any preacher could ever want. Not only was he preaching there's a flood coming, but there's a big old boat right behind him being built to let the world know I'm serious about what I'm preaching. Well, how did the people respond to that? His message was ignored by, by and large, most of the individuals in that area. Who were the only individuals who would listen? His wife, his three sons, and his, wife, or his son's wives. That's all that would listen. There were eight individuals who were on the ark. By and large, individuals ignored the preaching of God. You know, it's sad enough that we think of all the things that happened in those days and how people ignored the preaching of God, yet we look around the world today and what's going on. For the most part, God's message is being ignored. Even the mass has ignored the individual whom we would refer to as the greatest preacher of all time. No matter how much practice, no matter how much striving the greatest preachers living today can do, they will never top this preacher. I'm talking about Christ. He was the greatest preacher who walked the face of the earth. And people in his day ignored what he had to say. Well, 
And it was this same preacher who in Matthew chapter 25 made the statement that one day God will again close the door. And I believe that one of the reasons that's going to occur is because most of the world has tuned out his preaching. Well, what else does it mean when God closes the door? It means God's people are called out of the world. God had a safe haven prepared for Noah and his family. Again, we read in Genesis 7 verse 16, And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. Uh, verse 23 we read, And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. Why is it that Noah and his family were saved from this flood? They were in the ark. God had prepared an area of safety for these individuals when that time would come. Was there safety to be found anywhere else but the ark? I suppose an individual could try to scrap together a makeshift boat at the last minute. Would that boat be able to save them when the floods came? No. God had a certain area of safety prepared and that was the ark. If an individual or any living creature was not found in it, they perished from the floods. God has prepared a safe haven for mankind today. And that's called the church. Of course, you know, uh, for those of us, you know, who you know done study of the words and things of that nature, that word simply means the called out, and that Christians are called out of this world and they're called into Christ. In Colossians one verses twelve through thirteen, Paul said, "Giving thanks unto the Father that hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son." That word translated gives the idea of placing citizenship from one country to another. Literally, he's saying those Christians, those individuals who have obeyed the gospel of Christ and become Christians have placed their citizenship in the kingdom of God. Well, you could say, if you will, that the church is God's ark of safety today. Uh, you know, we kind of made a quick note of the ten virgins as far as the fact that there was a day coming in which the door would be shut, ultimately pointing to the uh, second coming of the Christ. What happens if you find yourself outside of that door when the marriage, uh, when the marriage feast starts and the door is shut? Can you find yourself somehow slipping in through the cracks to find your way inside? God has prepared a place of safety in the church. And once that door is shut, it's eternally too late. Now, it's at this time that our minds may turn to individuals who we know that aren't members of the church. Maybe they're friends, family acquaintances, some of that nature. And, you know, some people can even turn to me and say, you know, it's really easy for you to make the statement that if you're not a part of the church, then you're lost. And I'll be honest with you, it's not. Because I have relatives who aren't members of the church. I have family members who aren't faithful Christians. And when I think of their, the fact that those individuals aren't faithful, it doesn't bring me joy to make the statement that people who are outside of the church are lost. But it's a fact of the Bible. And let's turn this back to the standpoint of Noah and the ark. 
In Genesis 5, verses 30 through 31, we read, And Lamech lived after he begot Noah five hundred ninety and five years, and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were seven hundred seventy and seven years, and he died. Ladies and gentlemen, Noah had brothers and sisters. Noah had brothers and sisters who weren't on the ark. They refused to listen. You know what that meant for them? They were lost when the floodwaters came. They perished at that time. You have to imagine that Noah had friends. Because they weren't in the ark, they still and yet perished. They might have come to question him and with well-meaning questioning him about the building of the ark. But because of the fact they didn't believe Him and because of the fact they were not in the ark, they perished. Because they weren't in the place of safety. We need to understand that if one is not a member of the church, that person is not in a place of safety at this time. Look with me at 1 John 5 verses 1 through 3. 1 John 5 verses 1 through 3. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him that begot, uh, loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. Again, it may seem like a simple thing to state from the pulpit, but if we know individuals who aren't obeying the will of God, we need to understand that those individuals are going to be lost. And it's up to us as Christians to at least do our best to try to guide them to the truth. In Noah's day, he did his best, I would imagine, to teach his friends, his family, those whom he truly loved. But because they did not listen, they weren't in the place of safety, and they perished. We also need to understand that when the door is shut, as in the day of Noah, God's plan is ultimately carried out. God ultimately had a plan concerning the plight of man. And this plan involved, or basically to cleanse the world uh, in Noah's day. And when that door was shut, God carried out His plan. Look with me again at Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. In verse 16, again, "...and they that went in, went in male and female of flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in." Verses 20-21, through Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl, and of cattle, and of beasts, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man." All in whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. You've got to imagine at this point there is widespread panic throughout the face of the earth as all of this is occurring. At first, you've got to imagine that everything's okay though. You know, these people are watching Noah and his family get on the ark. And there may be some cockiness. Look at Noah. There he is, he's getting into the ark. There's his sons, they're following behind him. They've got all these animals on this boat. Their wives are in there with them. And oh look, the door's shutting. 
you got to imagine that Noah's going to feel really silly at the moment because it's not raining. Nothing's happening. He's just there. He's convinced his family to get on there. And they're going to feel really silly here shortly when nothing comes to pass. And then it happens. There's heavy rains. The underground rivers, the deposits of water that are in the earth are bursting forth out of it. And then there's widespread panic. There are probably individuals who are trying their best to cling to the ark. They're trying to make makeshift boats. They're trying to find a place of safety. But once that door is shut, it's too late. We need to understand that when God shuts the door, it gives the idea of finality. That's it. There's no one else getting on that ark. Well, when God closes the door at the end of time, that's going to be it. There's going to be finality. There is a day of judgment coming. And like in the days of Noah, there are individuals who today have mocked and will mock. There are individuals like that in the days of Peter uh, who mocked. In 2 Peter 3 verse 4 we read in saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of His creation. And again, Peter uses Noah uh, in the flood as a comparison to the mindset of those and of God's plan. There are individuals who have mocked the idea of Christ coming again to take His own with Him into eternity. And there are those who have mocked the idea that when Christ comes back, He's going to be the judge of the entire world. Peter writes to these Christians to keep in mind that there were mockers in the days of Noah. And what happened? God still kept His Word. There are individuals who are mockers today. And guess what? God is still going to keep His Word. In speaking of the ten virgins, Jesus said that five were locked out when the door was shut. In Matthew 25, verses 11 and 12, we read, Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But He answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. And so there is going to be a day when God shuts the door. And because of the finality that's involved, there are individuals who are going to be locked out for all eternity. And you've got to imagine that there are going to be people just like in the days of Noah who are probably try, who are probably tried to scramble to get everything said right. But by then it's going to be too late. And so what does it mean when God closes the door? It means that His patience has come to an end. It means that His preaching has been tuned out. It means that God's people are called out of the world and it also means that God's plan is carried out. We understand the fact that there is a great day coming in which God will judge the world in righteousness. And we're going to be judged by the things that Christ has said. And so it is important for us to be ready for when that day ultimately comes. Because if we wait for the moment that the door is shut, it's going to be far too late for us. And so this morning I have to or this evening rather, I have to ask, is there anyone that's here this evening that's not a Christian and may choose and may want to do so? If so, we have heard God's word. We need to believe on that word. Jesus said, Except ye believe that I am you shall likewise perish. We also need to be willing to repent of our sins. That doesn't mean that I say I'm sorry and I keep living life as I have in times past. 
that word repentance gives the idea of turning away from sin and turning to God and serving Him. I need to be willing to confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God as the Ethiopian eunuch did when he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in Acts chapter 8. And I need to be baptized for the remission of sins. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus made the statement, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Uh, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when preaching to the crowd after, asking, after being asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? That is, what shall we do about our sins? Peter answered, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. And I need to live a faithful life in His service until death. Jesus said in Revelation 2 verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. But what if I have done those things and I have not been living life as faithfully as I should? Well, we know from 1 John chapter 1 verses 7 through 10 that if we pray and repent of the things that we have done, God is willing to forgive us. And so maybe you're a Christian who hasn't been faithful. Repent of what you've done. If it's something that you've done in private, you can take it to God in private in your closet and pray about those things. But if it's something that's been done public, the confession needs to be made public. Or maybe there's just someone here who's struggling at this time. They're discouraged and they're in need of help. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We'll do everything in our power to help you. As together we stand and as we sing. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit